Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchah the laws of Malve, lending, Belove, borrowing, and the prohibition of a Jew charging his fellow Jew and paying his fellow Jew interest on a loan. And we talked earlier, there is the rabbinic ordinance called Heter Iskia, the permissibility of investing and earning money on the investment. That's a whole different world. But this is pre-Heter Iskia, the simple idea of borrowing and lending money and paying and getting paid interest. We talked earlier that there are various <coughs> types of interest. There's what's called Ribit Ktsutsa, Ribis Ktsutsa, fixed interest which is specified and stipulated before the loan takes place. That is the most forbidden type of interest because it's clear and documented before the activity. This is what's going to happen. That's a biblical violation. Then there is what is called avak ribis, the dust of ribis, or a rabbinic prohibition after the fact. And then there is scenarios which are permitted to begin with because they're not considered interest. So now we're learning about the various avak ribis situations, rabbinic prohibitions, and these laws get extremely complex. In fact, this is one of the most complicated laws in the Torah, the ins and outs of interest. If somebody makes a loan to his fellow and... The fellow says, you want me to lend you money? Give me collateral. So he gave him his field for collateral. So he says, you can have it for a certain set amount of time, a year or two years, or whatever the deal is. So we have a term for this collateral. Or until the borrower brings money, repays the loan, we establish to leave the field. In the interim, although this is something we said should not be done earlier by rabbinic law, but he did it. The lender who was in the field was benefiting and enjoying the produce. And the problem is that if he borrows $100, he repays $100, and he's eating produce, the, the lender is eating produce, it appears to be rabbinic violation of interest. Because when there's payment more than the principal, that's interest, even though there was no clear arrangement of how much and all of that. Even as time went on over many months or many years, he consumed the amount of produce equivalent to the amount of the loan he borrowed. We still do not say, hey, you borrowed $100, you ate $100 worth over the years from this field. Go home. You already paid. We don't say that. Why? Because that is only something we would say if it was a biblical violation. Because if you make him go home without taking any of his principal back, saying he already received his principal in the produce he enjoyed over the time, that would be tantamount, that would be equivalent to the courts forcing the interest back from him. And we said that when it comes to a rabbinic violation of interest, the courts do not collect it for him, the courts do not return it to him. So the courts are neutral on this. If we made the courts get involved, we would not be neutral. Surely, in a scenario where he consumed more produce than the principle given, again, we don't involve the courts. We don't forcibly remove it from him because it is not a biblical violation, rather a rabbinic violation. So in a rabbinic violation, we say don't do it to begin with, but if it's done, we don't forcibly remove it. When it comes to collateral, a field, for example, taken as collateral, if there is not one loan, but there are two loans, we don't combine the two loans, combining the amount of collateral, and he will explain that scenario in a few moments. On the other hand, if it belonged to orphans, rabbinic law is always more sympathetic to orphans. And he ate the amount of the debt. Here we do remove him without receiving anything in return because he already got it through consumption of produce over time. If he ate more than his debt, if he enjoyed more produce over time than his debt was worth, we do not remove the overage. But in this case, we do calculate from one note to the other. That's if it's in the case of orphans. Rabbinic law is very sympathetic to orphans. How do we calculate from note to note? So here he gives the scenario. The loan was 100 dinar, so the field taken for collateral was taken against that 100 dinar. And the second field is collateralized by another note for a loan of 100 dinar. Two loans, two notes, 200 dinars. They both belong to the same person. Over the years that he had this collateral, he enjoyed 50 dinars of produce. Now, remember, the whole loan was 100 to begin with. In the scenario where he took more than the loan, we say that the, our sages do not forcibly remove it from him. And here it's, therefore, 
a situation where the 150 is applied together with the other 50 to the other 100. We say, we look at the total here. And we say, listen, you enjoy 200 dinars of the produce. In that case, you get back nothing from your principal loan. In this case, because it's orphans, it is as if. The two notes become one note. The two pieces of collateral become one. Now, there are various customs. And again, this is a violation of rabbinic law because rabbinic law says you do not take collateral and enjoy the collateral. If there is a local custom where when there is a loan like this done, which we said should not be done, but it is done. What if it is done? If the culture is that we remove the lender, whenever the borrower returns the money, we say to the lender, go home. In other words, the borrower has an option to get his collateral back anytime. Then if that's the local custom, it is as if it was specified in the agreement. You don't have to actually specify it. Why? As we've talked so many times before, any local custom becomes part of the culture. And part of the agreement, Torah law follows local business custom. So also in a place where the common custom was. For example, if somebody lent another person a hundred dinar, took a property as collateral, the deal was a 12-month deal, which means the deal was that the Lender can enjoy the collateral for 12 months. That was the deal. And the culture is that in that place, they never removed the lender before 12 months, even if the loan was repaid. In that case, it should be as if it was stipulated. Why? Local custom becomes part of the stipulation. If there is a collateralization done without definition, the average collateralization, undefined, is again a 12-month period. Where it is the culture to remove the lender from the collateral, whenever the borrower wants. And... The lender made a deal and said, I know the culture is anytime you can come pay me back. You take the collateral. I want an agreement that I get to keep the collateral until the end of the term. And he said, if there was an agreement made, he cannot remove it. If it was a culture that the lender is not forcibly removed from the collateral until the end of the term, the people of and the borrower accepted this. And he would not follow that culture, but he would leave any time his money was brought to him. An actual symbolic act of acquisition called the Kenyan must be done in order to effect this. Any type of collateralization. In a place where it was a culture. To remove the lender whenever the money was brought, the money is returned, the lender is gone from the collateral. In that case, a creditor of the lender cannot take this property because it's not the lender's property, it's the borrower's because he can remove it anytime. Furthermore, in ordinary Torah law, as we will learn in the next upcoming section of law, which is inheritance law, the older son always gets double. The older son would not get double of this particular property. Why? Because it's not something he owns. It's only a collateral which the borrower can cause removal from at any time he wants to. Furthermore, the sabbatical year does cause the loan to be released, unlike the laws we learned earlier. Again, this does not belong to the lender because the borrower can come any time and remove him. When the borrower does come and remove him, at that moment when the borrower says, here's your money back, have a good day, he can't even take ripe fruit that fell to the ground. He can't take nothing. And if he lifted a piece of produce from the ground before he removed him, he does acquire. But if the culture of the local place is different, if the culture is he can't remove him until the end of the term, then the lender does collect, and the firstborn does take double, the sabbatical year does not cause it to be discharged, then in that case it is truly the lender's property for all practical purposes. Even though we've talked many times, this type of an arrangement is forbidden to take collateral and enjoy the collateral and still have to repay the loan. It is rabbinic violation of the Rebus Law Commission, as we explained, after she amin exhibitos. It is possible sometimes that a custom such as this is established in a given community in error and it becomes the community custom. Even though it's a violation of rabbinic law. If it was a violation of Torah law, it would be uprooted. But it's only a violation of avakribus, of the rabbinic violation of Rebus. Or sometimes this is done in relationship to a loan to or from a, an idolater. And we learned earlier that none of these laws apply when loans are given or taken from an idolater. Or perhaps this is the custom of someone who simply violated the law and took property as security in this particular country. So the question is in this particular city, the question is what is done here? Meaning that we've established that a rabbinic violation of interest. You follow the local business custom, so that's what you do. And others say that the only appropriate way to deal with this is to reduce the amount of produce that he enjoyed year by year from the principle of the loan. Next scenario, an idolater. Shemishkan, who took collateral, Yisrael, I'm sorry, who gave collateral to a Jew, and then this idolater who gave his 
courtyard as collateral to the Jew went and sold the courtyard that he gave collateral for a loan. He sold it to another Jew. So he gave it as collateral plus he sold it to someone else. The question is, does the fellow who has it as collateral, is he obligated to pay rent to the buyer? The answer is no. He can continue to live in that courtyard without rent. Returns the principle of the loan. Because the idolatry law of the time would follow that. The secular law of the time would follow that. So as the Rambam said many times, we're talking about an idolater. We follow his law in this type of situation. If somebody designates a house or a field and gives it to someone else as collateral, and he eats up the produce. Normally, I'm out when the lender says, listen, listen, my friend. When you sell this piece of real estate, I, I like this piece. I like this field. I like this house. I want you to give me the right to buy it. I think in our world, it's called first right of refusal. However, I want to fix the price now. I want a discount. Why should you give me a discount? Why should you promise me that? Because I lent you money. This is clearly forbidden. Because this is clearly interest. But if he said to him, when you sell it, give me first right of refusal. Market value. And because you're going to be kind enough and make that commitment to me to give me first right of refusal for market value at the time, this is permissible. Because he's not giving him a fixed price, a discount price. He's giving him a market value, first right of refusal commitment. Now comes an interesting scenario, questioning whether the scenario is a violation of interest law or not. You're allowed to increase the rent offered for land in return for delayed payment. And this is in our culture very common. I will charge you X amount of dollars for this and this rental or, or object, or I will discount the price if you pay me earlier. The earlier you pay, the better you get the price. Early payment discount. So he says here, it is permissible to pay more in early payment for a rental, for example. Mr. A rented Mr. B a courtyard. Listen, my friend. If you pay me early, I can really use the money. If you prepay, I'll give it to you for 10 sela a year. But if you're not going to prepay, you're going to pay monthly. It's going to be, it's going to be one sela per month, not 10, but 12. You want a discount? Pay up front, prepay. And I'll let you have it for 10. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a matter of loans and interest. It's a matter of prepayment gets a discount. Very common in our world. The plot thickens. Somebody rents a field to his fellow, and the price of the rental of the field is the guy has to provide 10 korim a year of produce, 10 measures a year of produce. That's his rental. And he said to him, Listen, my friend, it's very nice that you're renting me the field, and I'm going to give you 10 korim of produce, 10 weights of produce a year, 10 measures. But he said to him, Listen, I really need cash to work this field. 10 zoos. Let me have 200 zoos, which will allow me to utilize this 200 zoos for expenses to make the field profitable. I'm going to invest it all in your field. Why should you give me 200 zoos? What's in it for me, says the guy? Aha, because instead of giving you 10 per year, I'm going to give you 12 per year, 12 weights of produce a year, 12 measures. That's why it's worth it for you to give me 200 zoos to use as investment expense in your field because I'm going to make more produce, grow more produce, and pay you more produce. Now the question is, what is this? Is this an investment or is this a loan? This is permissible because it's an investment, not a loan. Very simple, because if he's going to invest these 200 dinars in the field, there's going to be more profit. It's a wise, not only is it an investment, it's a wise investment. Why? Because the guy is a poor man. He doesn't have money to spend on the field. He can't produce produce if you don't spend money. So also, if he rented him a store, he rented him a boat, 10 dinners a year, and the guy who rents the store or the boat says, listen, my friend, give me 200 zoos, let me do what we call in our world, TI, tenant improvement. I'm going to build out the store. I'm going to decorate it and plaster it. But what am I doing with this 200 zoos? I'm doing TI, tenant improvement, into your property. I'm going to upgrade your boat or... The stuff in your boat, the, the, the facilities in your boat, and so on. Instead of paying you 10 dinners a year, I'm going to pay you 12 dinners a year because you're going to give me money for tenant improvement or for upgrading the boat. Again, this is permissible. It's not a loan with interest. It's an investment where the guy gets a return. However, if he said to him, this is the following scenario, is the forbidden scenario. Give me 200 zoos because I want to have money in order to do business. In other words, I need money for inventory and, and, and to buy merchandise or whatever. 
or I'm going to spend to buy merchandise to be able to allow me to be a fisherman, I have to buy bait, or what have you, uniforms. Or I'm going to hire sailors. What's a boat without sailors? You need sailors. And I will pay you a higher rent. This is a problem. This is a loan with interest. Because he's not upgrading his property. He's buying merchandise or he's hiring employees. And he's an usher. This is already forbidden. So it really depends what you do and what it's for. Here's a case where it's permissible. Here's a case where it's forbidden. The plot thickens. Now, you would also the harvest is forbidden to increase the compensation, the payment, the salary, the wages paid to a person in order to have him agree to delay payment. Take that for example. The guy has to hire an employee. Do this labor for me, which is worth this and this silver coin. That's what it goes for, fair market value, this type of labor per day. And I don't have the money to pay you. But instead, I'm going to work for you. I guess it's something that you need two people. So I'm going to be the second person for you. You'll be the second person for me. But in the case, because you're going to wait for a week, I will do a different type of labor that's worth double. But I'll do it in exchange, barter. What is the problem here? The problem is that because he's waiting the week, he's giving him double. And that's interesting. So which means that Wages are also a problem when you're paying higher wages because you're not paying the wages on time. Even when he says, I'll work for you, I'll do a labor that's more valuable for the same price. That's interesting. Yudalev, and I say this literally, the plot thickens. It is permissible, however, for Mr. A to say to Mr. B. They're both farmers. You weed with me today in my farm, and I'll go weed with your farm, in your field tomorrow. That's fair. H-O-E with me today, and I'll hoe in your field with you tomorrow. So that's labor for labor. But he should not say to him, You weed for me and I will hold for you because hoeing could be more than weeding. Because we're concerned that one is more valuable than the other and it's the time delay that causes him to offer the higher price. Now, seasons cause fluctuation in labor. Various labors go for more intense uh, payment. Various seasons. There's a slow season, there's a fast season. So he says, One law applies for the entire Gorid, like summer season, the dry period. And one law for the entire rainy season in Eretz Yisrael. There's a dry season, the summer, and there's a rainy season, the winter. So, you can't fluctuate day by day with the value of salary. But it's one value per season. Don't say to him, therefore, you plow for me in the summer, and I'll plow for you in the rainy season. Because plowing in the rainy season is much more difficult. Because it's much more troublesome. Anything similar, this would fall into the prohibition of the laws of interest violation. Because the postponement of payment is causing him to offer a higher payment. Somebody hires a worker in the early winter to perform work for him in the late winter at a dinner a day. And he gives him the pay. But in that season, it's worth a sella a day. A sella is not a dinner, but it's for dinner. He's getting him cheaper because he's prepaying. This is forbidden. Because what he's doing is by the prepayment, he's lending him money today, and the interest he's getting is that he's going to pay him less. I'm going to hire you today. Work for me from today until this date. I'm going to pay you a dinner every day. And he's starting today. It seems to be a larger contract. And he's starting now. Even though ultimately the value would have been a sell, which is more. In this case, because he's starting today, it's permissible. There's no delay. He's beginning now. It doesn't appear as if it's money as a reward for lending him money. Because he's actually paying him in advance. End of chapter 7. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, he'll face the laws of Malve, lenders, Vilova, and borrowers. And the principal issues here are is that when interest is designated prior to the loan, lender will pay, I'm sorry, borrower will pay lender 10%, then that's called ribit kitsutsa, ribit kitsutsa, set interest, and that's a biblical violation. When interest just happens, because of this, that, or the other, this is called avak ribit, the dust of ribit, or a rabbinic violation. What is the difference? So we learned repeatedly. The difference is that ribit kitsutsa, preset biblical violation of ribit, can and should be reversed in court. Whereas rabbinic violation of ribit should not, cannot, and should not be reversed in court, and let it go where it goes. Peter Shemini, chapter 8, now various... Related scenarios. Also, it's forbidden to increase the price offered for merchandise in, in, in return for a delayed payment. Which means, 
I'm buying a, a container of wheat from you. If I bought it from you and paid you today, it would be $100, but I'm going to pay you in a year from now, I'll give you $120. So one could argue that that is the payment of interest because you're benefiting, the buyer is benefiting from the money that he does not have to give the seller and he's paying 20% for it. If that's how you look at it. Now he brings down here in the note that this law serves as a contrast to the principles mentioned in Halacha 8 and 12 of the last chapter. And the rationale for the difference is that there we talk about rent and wages. With regard to rent and wages, it's not required until the term of the rental or the work is completed. That's when the obligation kicks in. With regard to a sale, the purchaser is obligated to pay for the purchase upon completion of the transaction immediately. Therefore, it's obvious that the increase in payment for later payment is being granted because of a delay in payment. That's why the question is, is this forbidden interest or not? Ketzad, for example. If somebody sells his fellow car-car real estate and metalkin or movable objects, the Almar Lani says to him very clearly, if you pay me immediately, you can have it for a hundred, whatever it is, a hundred thousand, a hundred dollars. But if I let you pay it later, you can pay me one twenty. Now, is that just a deal or is that interest? So the Rambam says, this is a rabbinic violation. It's not a biblical violation. It's rabbinic. Why? Because it appears like he is accepting $20, 20 of 100, 20%, because he gave him 100 to utilize. He doesn't have to pay, so he can utilize it for his own personal use. He needs Azman until this is his date. So that's why it is rabbinic grievous, because it looks like it. However, if this comes to court, he only has to pay the 100. He doesn't have to pay the 120. Why? Because rabbinic grievous is never enforced in court. And it's never returned in court. Or he has the option just to return the purchase. If it was still there. And so also, if he sold him not real estate, but movable objects, if he pays until this and this date, it's $100. And, and, and if later, more. The market price would be 90 but if he pays 100 but if he pays by this and this date, it's 100 which means another 10 for the extension. Also, this is forbidden. And he gives him 90 if it existed. And by the way, this discount for early payment is a very common thing in the world we live in. Every phone bill I get from AT&T, it says if you pay by this date, it's so much. If you pay by this date, it's so much. So I'm getting discounted for either early or timely payment. This is the world we live in. In halacha, this is called rabbinic violation of interest. It's not a biblical violation, but it is rabbinic. If Mr. A purchases from Mr. B an item at market value, on the condition that from now, through 12 months from now, he will pay market value, which means he has a year to pay. Being that that's the established deal, then the seller can say to the buyer, pay me immediately and pay me less. Obviously, this would be a concern because someone is benefiting from time and money, but it's not a concern of interest because the price has been established at the higher price. The discount is being given for immediate payment. Gimel 3, in a barrel of wine, which is worth a dinar. The barrel of wine today has a value of a dinar. And he sold it to him for two dinars, but he doesn't pay until summer. So he's paying more for later delivery. But the important factor here is, is that there's a condition attached. That if anything goes wrong with this barrel of wine, let's say it becomes sour or it breaks or what have you, it is the seller's responsibility. And the seller holds responsibility until the buyer sells it. So for example, the seller is like a wholesaler. And the buyer is a retailer. The wholesaler maintains responsibility. And that's why he gives him time to pay. So he carries responsibility, which is a key aspect of that which permits this type of arrangement, as we learned earlier, shared responsibility. Now it's permissible. Why? Because if the wine, the barrel of wine was lost or broken, and Michelle Klum, he pays nothing. Shared responsibility. Therefore, he can take a higher price, because he's sharing the risk. What if the retailer, the buyer, does not find the customer? He can't sell it and make a profit. He can actually return it to the wholesaler. That shared responsibility makes the higher price not a problem. So also if he sold it to him for two, he says, you pay me two. You give me two. If you can get more than two for this, this will be your profit. Because you're trying to sell it. 
If you're not going to find a customer for more than two, give it back to me. Maybe in our world, this would be called like consignment. Give somebody an object. You say, sell it. Go sell it for two. You're going to give me two. Two gold dinars or $200 or whatever the deal is. If you make more than two, the profit is yours. If you don't, return it. You pay nothing. Again, I think in our world, that's consignment. This is permissible. Even though if it was lost, I need the bar stolen. Or it was, became sour. It is the purchaser's responsibility. But the wholesaler accepts responsibility for the sale of the article. He does not have to accept responsibility for the loss. He has a limited risk. What if he had produce? If he wanted to sell it in the open market today, collect the money immediately. The fair market value would be 10. Whatever it is, 10 dinars. That is, if he wanted to sell it on the open market, he'd probably get 10. But if a buyer comes and really wants the object, the buyer will buy it for 12 because he wants it now. In every business, there is the bid price and there is the actual sale price, like in stocks. What are you offering? What am I getting? And so on. There's usually a difference between what an anxious buyer is prepared to pay and what an anxious seller is prepared to sell it for. So here, if he was to sell it on the open market, he'd probably get 10. If he had an anxious buyer, he'd get 12. If the guy were to pay cash, being that conceivably there is a buyer for 12, he has the right to sell it for 12 and get paid later. And the delay is not considered an interest violation. Because even if the guy, conceivably, if he really wanted the object, would bring cash now, he would buy them for 12. Or anything similar. So 12 is not an overpayment. Hey, next scenario also. I think what we're getting into now are commodity futures. It is forbidden to purchase the fruits of an orchard before they are ripened and done. Why would the seller be selling it for a cheaper price now? Because for 10, when it's worth 20, when it's ripe and complete, so let's be honest. Why is he getting 10 for an item that will be worth 20? Because he's getting money to work with. Money is money. That sounds like interest. So therefore it is forbidden. Another scenario, he purchased a cap at a bargain price. And he leaves it at the owner who sold it to him until it gets grown up, until it's a cow. That's permissible. Why? He paid a bargain price now. The guy gets money. He's benefiting from money. He's going to get a better price later. Because the fact is that if the cow died, the calf died or became weak, it is the buyer's responsibility. And that can happen. Therefore, it's a shared responsibility. Another example of futures or commodities. Somebody's interested in the twigs of vines, which is a very good wood. He pays advance money to the owner of the vineyard so that he can have the twigs and branches that will eventually be cut off. Right now, they're not ready to cut off, to be cut off. Shaheen Biyaker, when they're ready to go to market, they cost a lot of money. But he, the purchaser, is buying them a lot cheaper at a, at a sale price. Actually, should be, of course, because it's going to take quite a while until they dry and they're ready to be harvested. The only way this would be permissible is while they're still attached to the ground, if he does something to help the process. Because that would be as if he purchases a tree for its branches. But he didn't, then suddenly it appears that the money was alone. The reason it's being sold at a cheap price is because of the free usage of the money or the payment. And it would be forbidden because it would appear to be interest. What if there are watchmen of fields, guards, security guards, who guard fields, and what do they get as their salary? They get wheat at a cheaper price from the granary, from the grain heap. When they get to the grain, have to work with the owners in the grain heap. In order that this grain that they take at the end of the period of work should be for that period. That's why working will help. But if they didn't do that, and they should have gotten paid a lot earlier. So the fact that the boss did not pay till now is usage of money. The fact that they got paid less because they postponed their acceptance of wages until later. Sharecroppers, this particular sharecroppers deal was where the field owner would remove the sharecropper from the field in the month of Nisan, in early spring. <coughs> and the sharecroppers would pay the owner. Every chomer of produce that they produced, that was the share. Foresaw per chomer. 
The owner now allowed the Oris, the sharecropper, to stay for another month. He extended his agreement. But for this other month, he upped the price to six from four. This is permissible. This is not at all considered interest. Nine. Somebody purchases wheat. Four measures per sell. And that's the market value. But that was the purchase. It was a futures purchase. When it comes to collect, after a long time, he adds to the measure. He gives him more than four. This is permissible. Why? Because he desired. He chose to give him more. Because it was with his own will that he gave him. Had he, not want, had he wanted to do differently, he would not have. There was no stipulation. Anyone could give anyone anything he wants. In this case, it would not be considered interest. You then. A person may give the money in advance for a barrel of wine to his fellow. And tell him, listen, I'm paying you in advance for this barrel. It goes sour, goes bad from this moment until this and this date. It's your problem, he says to the seller. Because I can't handle vinegary wine. I need quality wine. I want you to guarantee the quality. However, but if the price fluctuates with market fluctuations, and they should leave, that'll be my risk. So that's fine, because there's a shared risk. Being that he accepts upon himself the lower price, then he'll probably have gain or loss. And there's fair risk here, which is the best scenario we learned earlier. Or anything similar. That would not be a loan. That would be sharing in the venture. A person they purchase from his fellow around Tishrei, September time. May a kadim shalyayin a hundred barrels of wine, but dinner paying a dinner a barrel. Then they not not taking delivery until Tavis until January, December, January. when he takes delivery, but he inspects the wine to make sure the quality is there. Omach he returns. Achaim is any wine that became vinegar. But if Achaim takes other good barrels, well, in this case there is responsibility. He guaranteed quality, so therefore it's no problem. He can pay in advance. Let the guy benefit from the money. The guy doesn't deliver till later. He pays in September. Delivery is December, January. Shall they call him vinegar? Why could he do that? Why could he give delayed delivery and make use of the money? Because he guaranteed quality. Anything that became sour, we say that this was wine that would have gone sour anyway. But we just found out that it did. And that later, so it's all kosher. You now live. A place where it's customary that the customer leases a ship, rents a ship, and the owner takes rent. Okay, that's great. What if something goes wrong and the ship breaks? Stuff gets broken. They do an estimation and evaluation. In addition to the rent, he pays for repairs. The customer pays for repairs. That's fine. Rent is rent and repairs is repairs. It's permissible. To rent a pot of brass, okay, it's a very expensive material. And he takes the rent. At the end of the rental period, they weigh the brass pot. If it lost from its weight, he pays the loss. It's not interest, it's damage. Here's a difficult scenario. A shepherd cannot accept what's called iron sheep from an Israelite. We learned the term iron sheep many times. We especially learned it in marriage, laws, and in other contexts. Iron sheep means you give me a sheep, I promise you a sheep back. If the sheep you give me dies, or goes down in price, I'll give you a sheep back so that you have no risk. This is called iron sheep. It's like an iron commitment. So now there are two ways to come to a shepherd. You come to a shepherd and say, Listen, Mr. Shepherd, here's a hundred sheep. Do your best. I'll pay you. The shepherd comes back and he says, I did my best. He has 90, 10 died. That's not iron sheep. Iron sheep is you give a hundred. And that's why this is a quality shepherd because he guarantees you a hundred. And if a sheep dies, it's his loss. I guess you've got to make enough money to be able to cover that loss. Ain't the cobbling saying, Basil, Israel, the shepherd cannot receive this iron sheep deal from a Jew. Because it appears to be a rabbinic violation. The case of Hain Saint Basel, what's the scenario? And they show you like they are saying the owner had a hundred sheep. The Kiblon the Menor, the Papa by the shepherd, accepted a hundred sheep to care for them. The Hiyah Gizus Mavlodis Machol of them. So, and the deal is that the shepherd and the owner will split any shearings, any offspring, any milk down the middle. The shepherd is doing all the work. The boss gets fifty percent. The shepherd gets fifty percent. Or whatever deal they made, the Shlisha third, or the Via quarter, makes no difference. How long is the term? Whatever you want. Achana a year. Achana time. Two years. Whatever the deal was. The Nesuot saying the iron sheep thing is that if the sheep died, it's on the shepherd's head. The shepherd's got to pay the money for the dead sheep. Now, here there is a problem. Shepherd takes full responsibility for loss. And here there is 50-50, which means that the owner is lending the shepherd sheep and what the shepherd is giving him back is profits or interest on a loan. Guaranteed. This doesn't sound like an investment. This sounds like an interest-bearing loan. And they say, also, this is forbidden. And it meets all of the negative requirements we learned earlier. That the shepherd has all the risk. The owner has no risk. You're not paying the shepherd for his work. It's too good a deal. 
Because the owner is probably going to make a killing. I don't mean a killing, that's a bad word. A lot of money. And chances are he won't ever lose any money because he has a full money back guarantee. This is a bad scenario in the laws of interest. Because therefore, in Kibbalah, as long as the owner accepted, at least he accepts some risk. That if the market value goes up or down, they were attacked by wolves. It's his problem. Now it's permissible because now the owner has risk and gain. Now it's a shared investment. Again, in line with what we learned earlier, it fits our requirements. If somebody appraises an animal he receives from a colleague, he takes an animal and he gets an appraisal, he gets a price. We all know he says, If the animal dies, 30 dinners is what you have to pay for this dead animal, because I don't like dead animals. Your reward is going to be, I'll pay you a seller a month. Mutter, that's permissible. Because it's not a live animal he's paying for. It's only after the animal dies that he has to pay. That's permissible. Along the same lines, a woman could rent to her friend, a chicken. What does a chicken do? It sits on eggs. To sit on a bunch of eggs, what will the woman who owns the chicken get? Two chicken, two chicks. And we're not concerned that she's giving her a chicken and she's getting back her chicken and two chicks. Sounds like interest. No, it's rental. Whenever we can look at it as rental, it's okay. Closing paragraph, if someone is demanding from his fellow, four dinars of ribis payment of interest. Now, this is not kosher. Yeah, but the guy's not kosher. He's demanding his interest. The guy couldn't handle the pressure. So he gave him an object that's worth not four, but five. He paid him more than the four. And then he goes to court because we said real interest could be demanded back from the court system. When the court removes this illegal interest payment, did they take four or did they take five? The demand for interest was four. The payment was five because he had nothing else. They get five. The only reason he got five was because he was paying interest. He gives him a garment, an expensive garment or utensil. The courts then take the garment or the utensil back. That utensil. What if he rented from him a place that's worth rent three dinners? When he takes it from him, he takes four. Because the deal was four. Shekibal Ola, because he accepted that the three would be worth the price of four. End of chapter eight. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Malva, the labor, lender, and borrower, Peter Chi. Chapter nine. Chapter nine talks about commodities and futures. The question is a very simple one. When I sell something or I buy futures, is it a loan or is it a business deal? It sure looks like a loan. Why? Because I'm buying something that will not be delivered until six months from now. Six months from now, it's going to be valued at $100. I'm going to pay you now $50, and I'm going to get back $100. Well, it sounds like you're getting $50 for the use of the money. That's what futures is, early payment. That's why people sell stuff, because they need cash. Is this business, or is it interest? That's the issue of chapter 9. The answer is there has to be some reality to the sale. It can't just be pure speculation. That's the halachic system here. You should not agree to a price on a commodity for sale of a commodity or purchase of a commodity unless the price has been established by the market. So that if the market finally has a price for this commodity, which means if it would be purchased now, the price would be so-and-so, now you can sell this commodity. Once the price comes out, you can agree. Why? You can say, it's very nice that the price came out, but the guy who's selling it doesn't have the commodity. Well, it doesn't matter. Even though one guy doesn't have it, the seller doesn't have it, someone else has it. If he has to deliver now, he could. He can buy it. Take that, for example. If the price of wheat was established in the marketplace as four measures for a seller, even though he doesn't have wheat, he can agree to sell him a hundred sin. At four measures, he owes him, he has to pay him 25 sloyim. So the guy actually gets paid 25 sloyim, and then he has to deliver in the future a hundred measures of wheat. And if he gives him a hundred measures of wheat later, he delivers later. Later, the wheat will not be worth four measures for a seller, but it'll be worth one measure for a seller. The price will have gone way up. It's not considered even though he's delivering a much more expensive commodity. Even though the seller didn't have any wheat at the time of sale, wouldn't you say he borrowed money and paid back four times as much? Sounds like interest to me. No, it was a sale of a future item. When does it apply that he can't sell this until the price is established? 
If the seller didn't have any of that species of that item at the time. But if he had at least something, even though it wasn't right yet, he may agree to a price, even though the market did not yet establish a price, because he has it. Kate for example, what if he was the first to harvest, and therefore there is no market price, he can agree to a price for his grain, even though there's still the grain, he can, a lot of stuff has to be done in order for it to be marketable. And he can agree to a price, he can do a sell for wine, as soon as the grapes have been reaped, and placed in the back, as soon as the olives are placed in the vat. I'm sorry, the grapes have been reaped and placed in the vat. Yeah, the olives have been placed in the vat. seed, or here he's selling line, a place, an order for line can be placed. Once it is dropped in and lowered into the oven, you can also establish a sale for earthenware vessels as long as the bowls of clay are made and ready to go. So these are steps that are already done to enable this future's deal to be done. Ahmed, what when does it apply? In the case of the earthenware vessels, when he's using white clay, but if he's using dark clay, he can actually do a deal for the utensils which will be made from this clay, even though they're not done yet. Because everyone has this clay and it's available on the market. Even though this particular seller doesn't have it, someone else has it. So also, he can establish a futures commodities deal. On fertilizer, all year round, even though he doesn't have fertilizer, because it's continuously available. If he had to deliver today, he can buy fertilizer. By the way, the idea of futures and commodities, this is a massive, huge business today. And in the simple sense, farmers always try to sell their stuff early at these parts of the crops in order to give them cash flow. You need cash flow. Without cash flow, you've got nothing in this world. So again, is this an interest-bearing loan or is it an investment? So the rule is any object that is lacking one or two acts for completion, steps for completion, which means everything but the two steps is done. Then the agreement could be made, the deal could be done. But if it's lacking not nearly two steps of the processing, but three steps, the only way you can sell something lacking so many steps is if a price has been established in the market, as we said earlier. Why? Being that it is lacking three processes, three parts, three steps. It's as if, as we said earlier, he has absolutely nothing of that part because there's too many steps lacking. It's as if it doesn't exist in the world yet. Gates, for example. Godish, if the object we're talking about is grain, the guy has a grain heap, it's missing three steps. A is to be placed in the sun to dry, B is to be thrashed, and C is to be winnowed. These three steps have not yet been completed. And the basic of you can't sell this grain as a future unless there is a market price established. Because then he relies on the market price. He can buy it somewhere. It was already dried out. That's step one. Then it's only lacking step two and three. Only threshing and winnowing. Basic all of you can agree to a price. You can sell it as a future. Another example, baits him those bowls of clay. Of the manufacturer, it's still missing a lot of steps. They're lacking shaping, drying, being placed in the kiln, being fired, and being removed. Then he may not accept an order. Too many steps missing. But how you if they're already dried, they're only lacking to be placed in the kiln and to be fired. And here we can sell the futures. As long as it is customary that the buyer removes it from the kiln. From the furnace. But if the seller does it, it's now missing three steps. Too many steps missing. He can't do the deal until the price is established. Or similar. The farmer is going to milk his goats. And to share his sheep. And he's going to remove the bee, the honey from his beehive. I guess to, to take the honey out. And he meets a friend. And he says to him, listen, I need cash. You have cash. Cash is king. Whatever milk my goats give off are sold to you. Just give me money. I need money. Whatever, she- whatever wool my sheep will shear is yours. Sold to you. Whatever I will get honey-wise out of my honeycomb, that's a cereal. All of the above scenarios are permissible. You can't get more futuristic than that. And the Rambam is speaking about a situation where obviously the buyer pays a lower price because he pays at the time the agreement is made. When is the product delivered? Afterwards. Nevertheless, this is not considered interest. Why? 
I would think it should be. Because the seller and purchaser do not speak of a specific amount. Because they haven't agreed to a quantity which does not necessarily exist. Then it would be speculation, and then it would be loans. So therefore, if the quantity of milk, wool, and honey is less than expected, the purchaser will suffer a loss. Since there's also an element of risk involved, the arrangement is permitted. He just says, I'm going to buy the future of whatever you do. But they don't have specifics. Dalid, uh, where are we? Anything similar. Orders cannot be placed based upon a market price established in a village, in a town. Because that's not considered establishing price. Only the big city price is considered established price. Whatever is priced in a small village is not really indicative of real price. If new wheat is sold in the big city for four measures for a seller, and the old crop for three measures for a seller, we can't establish until the price equalizes. If harvested wheat was four measures for a seller, but if private wheat from the owner is three, he can agree for the harvested, for the price of the harvested, you should not do a deal with the private farmer until it's an established price for all. Once the price has been established, there's no reason you can't agree to a higher price. For example, if wheat was sold four measures for a seller, and he promised him that he agreed that he'll give him a cheaper price. If later the price shot up to ten measures for a seller, that's not a problem. Like the market price. Because they agreed to the higher price. Or if he just gave him the money plain without definition, he didn't agree to the higher price. But whose price went down? He has to pay at the price that they agreed when the money changed hands. Or anybody who retracts. We have this Mishapora where they gather together in the synagogue and they say he who cursed for somebody who doesn't keep his business commitments. There is a curse that is said in synagogue at the Torah. We learned about it in great detail earlier. When does this apply? When somebody unilaterally agrees. In other words, the principal is agreeing. But if the guy was an agent for someone else, whether he was the seller or buyer's agent, you can only take the cheaper price or refund the money. And if it's through an agent, there's never this curse, this adjuration, because the principal who sent him says, This is a principle we established earlier. I sent you to improve my lot, and not to undermine my lot. So agents should not undermine lots, and if so, the principal is not responsible. We sold for four measures for a seller. But not and he took the money. delivered five. As we did at the time, it's permissible. Somebody owed him wheat and he took the money. Until he collects the wheat and gives it to him. It's forbidden. Because what somebody owes you needs to be collected. And therefore, it's if they aren't. It's like he's giving him a time, discounting the price because he's carrying him. That's interest. If in the city, wheat sells for four measures for a seller. In the village, it's six. Villages, the price is higher. It is permissible, no problem, to give a seller to a merchant in order to bring six measures from the village for a lot cheaper. As long as it is in the domain of the buyer. If it's lost on the way, and even if it's stolen, it's the buyer's loss. The loss is that a VIP who is being watched by everyone should not do this because people will think that it is a different deal. But certain types of merchandise forbidden for everybody. Because merchandise is not as available as produce. So we really have to make sure that it's not interest being paid for the money, rather it's a sale. When donkey drivers enter a city, at that moment, wheat sells for four measures for a seller. Then the price of wheat fell. They sold to their acquaintances or to their brokers at five sellah. For money that they gave them as soon as they entered into the town, before they'll even open up for business. This is permissible. Because the reason they're getting a cheaper price, because they inform them the price and offer them assistance and support them. If somebody takes his produce from place to place, his fellow found him, he says, give me your produce. I'll tell you what, you give me your produce, you have a hundred measures of this and this crop, I have a hundred measures of this and this crop, but the problem is it's in San Diego. When I see you in San Diego, I'll give it back to you. If he has it there, it's fine. If not, also it's forbidden. Because if he has it, it's a trade. If he doesn't have it, it's a loan. But if he's transporting merchandise from place to place, on says to normally give it to me. I'll give you the same price that it's valued at this and this place. If it remains the responsibility of the seller until it gets there, it's fine. But if it's now in the domain of the buyer, also it is forbidden because the purchaser is now taking the risk and the seller gets his profit regardless. So this appears to be a loan at interest. 
you the final paragraph of this chapter. If somebody gives the owner of a vegetable garden, he says, listen, you've got cucumbers in your garden. They're gorgeous. I'm going to prepay you for your cucumbers, even though they're not ripe yet. You've got watermelons in your garden. Gorgeous. I'm going to pay you in advance for your 10 watermelons. But right now they're small. They still got a lot of growing to do. And he agreed. She eat them like she He says, "I pay now, and you will deliver when they're ripe. You'll have money in advance, and I'll have ripe crops." What's the deal here? Is this an interest-bearing loan or not? This is permissible. We kind of learned that in an orchard, it's not so permissible. Why? Because stuff in vegetable garden grows a lot smoother and a lot easier than stuff on trees. More stuff goes wrong on trees than in vegetable gardens. Had he cut it off now? When you cut off your cucumbers or your vegetables when they're small, does another crop grow back right away? No. Nothing will replace them. So also, anything similar, where the seller will not suffer loss or detriment, therefore it's permissible to make this future sale. We're going to safely assume that these are going to grow full term and everyone's going to live happily ever after. End of chapter 9.